Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America. Biden's being a popular, Biden's being an extremist. This has been the President of the United States of America. May God have mercy on our souls. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash midterms. Promo code is midterms. You'll save 30 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. If you're watching on YouTube, and I know thousands of new people are, we do appreciate you showing up to the YouTube channel. Be sure to like the video right now and follow and click the bell for alerts for whenever we go live. John Gabriel, we're going to return to the program today with the latest on the elections in Arizona and everywhere else. Joe Biden pledges to continue being a terrible, terrible president. But we start by doing election 2020, 2022 down to the wire. You know, it's funny. Uh, we can get to the election stuff here in a second. But I, I have a theory I think I'm building in my mind to explain some of the crazy things we've seen lately. And this clip that we started the show with, with Joe Biden trying to get through some word, which I still can't define, um, reminded me of it. Can we play that clip, uh, the hail to the gaff here for one second? Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States of America. Biden's being a popular, Biden's being an extremist. Okay. This is what? This is like time number 1000. I don't know. I guess they would blame that one on the stutter. But I, I, what was he even talking about? He's, he's never talking about anything that makes any sense. He's constantly. I mean, the man can't communicate. He can't communicate. And I started thinking to myself, there's such a trend here. We played clips of Nancy Pelosi as well, who just can't seem to say anything. And then I saw this clip on MSNBC. This is uh, Katie Tour suggesting an interesting approach to the next presidential nominee for the Democrats. Fetterman as a nominee at some point for president. Um, I know there's some variables, obviously. <laughs> but just a few. Just a few. But I just, you know... It, it, what he did in the in the super red, deep red parts of Pennsylvania and the way that he ran ahead of Biden, as you were saying, ran ahead of Trump. I mean, it just makes it makes you wonder about his future. Does it? I mean, I'm definitely wondering about his future. Like, will he make it through the next week alive? That I wonder about constantly. But I don't think John Fetterman would be a good presidential candidate. Do I have to say that out loud? And then you say, you think, okay, well, Pelosi can't really speak. They seem to love her, you know. Biden can't really speak. They seem to love him. John Fetterman can't really speak. They seem to love him. Is this just something, do they just prefer candidates who cannot speak? Is this something the left is doing right now? Is this what we're going toward? And you might say, well, I'll give you a couple of examples. And, you know, that can't possibly be it. But let me give you one other piece of evidence. Also from Pennsylvania. Democrat reelected by a landslide in Pennsylvania, even though he's dead. I mean, maybe this is a good approach for Democrats. Maybe if instead of having people who tell you what they think, you have people who can't tell you anything. And then you're basically guaranteed to win. The, the less a Democrat speaks, and the fewer times he's able to coherently describe the positions of the Democratic Party, maybe that's the best path forward for the left. I don't know. Seems to be working so far. Uh, congratulations, though, to uh, John DeLuca. Also, condolences to the family of 
sorry, Anthony DeLuca. He's, uh, he's passed away. Let's go through where we are right now. We'll start with the Senate. Uh, you know there are a few races that are still around, three of them to be, uh, to be uh, accurate here. The Republican Party needs to win two of the three to win the Senate. That is it. It's that simple. The three races are, of course, Nevada uh, with Adam Laxalt, Arizona with Blake Masters, and, of course, Herschel Walker in Georgia. That one's going to a runoff. So you figure you needed to do two, and a half, or two things here. They've done half of a thing. They've been able to get to a runoff, at least, in Georgia. So you got one and a half things to do that remain. You need to win one of those two elections in Arizona or Nevada, and you need to win that runoff in Georgia. You win all three, you get to 52 seats. And, like, you know, honestly, if we came into this and they got to 52 seats, nobody would say, be saying this was a disappointment. Uh, but... A lot of people feel very disappointed at this point. Um, can you do it? You know, all these things seem a little uphill right now. Let me give you the prediction model, uh, the uh, prediction markets vibes on this, because we can go through and we're going to talk to John Gabriel in a couple of minutes about these races. He's got some insight on which vote is going to be coming in in Arizona. He's got some confidence there. But I will say uh, that the. The overall markets, when you're looking at predicting these things, are not all that confident about any of the three races for Republicans. Right now, uh, in the predicted prediction markets, which is something that that would have taken like a month for Joe Biden to say, um, Arizona, they're saying a 92 percent chance that Blake Masters is going to lose there. Now, that's the worst possibility. But to set this up, there are some people with real optimism Uh, in Arizona about this race. But uh, the prediction markets are not buying it. They are buying Carrie Lake, where they think she's the slight favorite. But 92 percent chance uh, is the uh, is the vibe right now on the prediction markets. And, you know, look, prediction markets, prediction markets don't tell you what's going to happen. What it does do is summarize for you the available information. You know, a lot of times because these are people who are putting their actual money behind this, they are betting on these markets and they say, "Okay, hey, I really think this is going to happen. You don't see these things really out of whack with reality all that often. The only time I honestly I've ever seen them that far out of whack with understood reality at the moment was in 2000, uh, 2020 with some of the races, you know, like you'd see like New York. Uh, where Donald Trump would have like a 30% chance of winning New York. There was never a moment that Donald Trump had a 30% chance of winning New York. But there's a few of those races, particularly around Donald Trump, where they were kind of out of whack for a while. Generally speaking, though, they don't, they're not predicting the future all that well. They're not saying, okay, uh, you know, we know more than a pollster might know or what an expert might know. But they, what they are saying is, OK, we're taking all this information. We are distilling it down to try to come up with this sort of uh, result. And this is what we think it is. We're putting our money behind it. So 90 percent, 90 to 92 percent chance of Blake Masters losing in Arizona, according to these markets in Nevada, an 84 percent chance for Adam Laxalt to lose. Now, you might be looking at the, the numbers and say, well, wait a minute, Adam Laxalt's still ahead in the currently reported results. Well, that's going to be bouncing around. Results, more votes are coming out. And these votes are expected to shrink that lead and maybe go all the way over to the other side. And then in Georgia, this is a runoff. It's weeks and weeks away. This is probably the least reliable of these. 
They have um, uh, uh, Pastor Raphael Warnock with a 74% chance of winning. So if you think about that, it's hard. To get two of those three to happen, it's a little difficult, right? You would love to be able to have a better chance of winning than, uh, than you have. Overall, will the Republicans win the Senate? Only a 12% chance. That's what betting markets believe. The House is another story, however. Betting markets believe Republicans have a 78% chance to win the House. And I'd like to just sit here and give you good news about the House. Hey, the Senate's got, we got a shot, but the, the, the House is at least a sure thing. We should be saying that by now. It's surprising that we are not, to be honest with you. And I mean, we, we have this headline from the New York Times. House Republicans win or, or won or lead in 221 races, enough for a bare majority, but control remains up for grabs. And I, it's hard to describe what that number is. 221 is like nothing. 221 means if they're wrong about four races, four Republicans lose. If just four races come out the opposite way. And listen to the wording of that. House Republicans won, that's, they're already done, or lead in 221 races. Well, leading a race right now doesn't make much of a difference. You know, I mean, the, the, there's only one poll that counts, and it's the results at the end when you've counted all the vote. In races where, you know, for example, we were just talking about two of them, where Adam Laxalt leads, they expect he might lose. Uh, Blake Masters is behind, but there's a chance he comes back and wins. Last I checked, Carrie Lake was behind, and she may come back and win. It's, you got to know what the vote is out there, right? So having races that you lead in isn't all that promising. You need to know the background. And so I was like, you know, I'm having a good day. I want to see some good news. Give me at least the house. Maybe we can get over the line. My mental state can improve just a little bit. I can maybe not pick up the hardcore heroin habit I'm planning if this goes awry. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll put that off for a couple more days. It's, you know, it'll be good for the family. Um, and so I went in and decided to dive into all the races that are out there. And I will say what I saw when I did that, was terrifying. Yes, freaking terrifying. I don't know. I will be honest with you. I don't know that the Republicans are actually going to pull the House out. Everybody's saying they are. They may be right. But I don't even look at this and say, there's a really good chance, uh, but they, 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 there's a chance they fall short. I don't see this as an 80-20 thing. I'll be, I would be happy with 50-50, honestly, after looking at this in detail. Why? Well, a lot of these races, let me, 209 I'm pretty, I'm pretty secure on, 209, okay? Then you start getting into a lot of West Coast races that are going to take forever to count. What's going to happen in those races? Well, I went through and I saw one, two, three, three. I'm like, all right. Those, I'm pretty sure, are going to go the Republican way. That gets you to 212. Remember, you got to get to 218. Then I was like, well, let me look at the next tier. Races that look pretty much like they could win, like a lead and maybe a, project, a projected lead as we look at what the, the remaining vote is. All right, I can do that too. Not as secure as the first batch, but okay, give me a couple more here. One, two. That's 214. Then I saw a couple of races. I, go, I looked at them and I was like, well, these are, are real toss-ups. Real toss-ups. No idea. Uh, uh, Lauren Boebert's race in Colorado is an example of this. It's super tight. I think she now leads by a few votes. Uh, it's in the 90% area of, of being counted. Really, really super close race. 
Um, that one's out there. But I had uh, one, two, three in this toss-up area. That's 27, what, 217, right? Let's see. 209, 210, 211, 212, 213, 214, 215, 216, 217. It leaves me one short. Now, there's a bunch of other races Republicans lead in. There's one race they lead by 18 in the count, but all the other votes supposed to go the other way. And I think there's a good chance it wipes that seat out in California. In fact, everything else here that I'm looking at that I have not already talked about are races out in California where something like 40 or 50 percent of the vote is counted. Now, maybe things turn around and some of those races come through. I think the good thing about this is you have so many races that fall within a couple thousand votes that you'd think one or two of them might come through. And that's all you'll really need. But there's a lot here that does not make me confident. I don't think the Republicans are going to win the Alaska seat. I don't think that's happening. Um, I look through this and I say, wow. You know, gun to my head, there's none of these I'd want to be like, oh, I'm 100 percent sure that one's coming through. They're all super close. And in a race like this, this happens sometimes. I remember the 2018 election. We did election night coverage. It was a good night for Democrats. If you remember, this was the midterm during uh, Trump's presidency. And it was a good night. And I remember looking at this and I'm like, this is a good night, but I wouldn't call it a wave. It was a it was a it was a solid night for Democrats. They did OK. They 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 gained some seats, but it wasn't a wave election. And then over the next couple of weeks, as California, who is the worst state in the union, apparently at counting votes, it goes slowly, 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 40 percent, 45 percent, 50 percent. And as it kept going, more and more of these seats that were purplish or leaning a little bit red wound up turning blue. Now, of course, I understand what everyone thinks when they see things like that. And I understand it's very, very natural to think that. Now, I'm not an expert on uh, election integrity. It's not really my beat. I know there are a lot of people who talk about that quite a bit. Uh, we'll talk about some of the laws surrounding it. But I mean, getting into the legal cases, it's really a place for attorneys and, and all that other stuff. We will maybe talk to them if, if this stuff becomes a bigger issue. Most of the time, though, I think people substitute uh, these uh, claims of uh, fraudulent activity around elections. It kind of boils down sometimes to not all the time, but sometimes to complaining about the refs. Right. Like, I, you know, I lost the Super Bowl and I'm going to go out there and whine that I should have had a pass interference call in the third quarter. It might even be a legitimate pass interference call sometimes. But the bottom line, at the end of the day, what the ref called is reality. And so you have to deal with reality. You might think Joe Biden should be the president, but he is. I just played a clip of him stuttering over some word I've never heard before. He's there. He's doing this. So taking that side of it out is kind of where I am usually on this stuff because you know, I can't control it. That's something that there's a the system built and, and attorneys sort all that stuff out as we go. What I'm th- talking about here, though, is general perception for a second. Everybody said Republicans were going to win the House. They had one of the most uh, incredible environments to run a, a race that you'll ever see. And then election night happened and everyone said, well, Republicans are going to win the House, but, you know, the Senate is it's uh, not looking so good. And some of these seats went away and there were contra- close elections that went the wrong way for Republicans. But still, everyone to this day is still saying, yeah, yeah, Republicans are going to win the House. If that doesn't happen, I can't even imagine what the reaction is going to be like on the right. It's going to a lot of people are going to be really pissed off and it's going to feel like how they felt in 2020 times 10. 
<laughs> because this no one's telling you that this is as close as it is. You know, yeah, you can say uh, the House might go to the Republicans. They might be the favorites. Maybe they pull off some of these. I mean, if you if you just go the way that I looked at it, you're right around 217. I wouldn't even be confident in all those seats to get there. Then you're starting to go into this page. This page is all Democratic leads. You're going to have to start picking off seats in California that are currently being led by Democrats. If this gets reversed, holy crap, are we going to have a catastrophe on our hands? Oh, man, that one I don't even want to think about. Let's not think about it. Let's just talk a little bit about why all of this happened. Why was this a disappointing election for Republicans? There's a lot of reasons. And, you know, you have that initial election and then you have a secondary election for everybody to figure out. Wait a minute. Let's all run our campaigns. I'll say that we didn't focus enough on on culture war issues. And I'll say we didn't focus enough on uh, inflation. And you'll say that was because we didn't go with enough of Donald Trump's nominees. And he'll say, well, we didn't go with we went with too many Donald Trump nominees and we'll have this whole battle and this will go back and forth. What that's being sorted out right now. And people are trying to figure it out, I believe. I'm the type that I like to look at this and really analyze it over a longer period of time so I can fully understand when the vote is fully counted, try to look at these things for trends and come up with a coherent narrative that makes sense once we have all the information, which, by the way, we don't have. But one of the things that they're testing out there is that this is all abortion's fault. As we know, Democrats ran their campaign almost exclusively on abortion and other than that, I guess, democracy or something, (laughs) whatever they were trying to say. Uh, January 6th is bad, I guess, was the other part of their campaign. But abortion was maybe the central part. And there is some information. There's some uh, some anecdotal information to back this up. States like Pennsylvania, where the number one concern of voters in the state of Pennsylvania, according to exit polls, was abortion in a state like that. Republicans really underperformed, where in a state like New York, where there was no real risk of uh, abortion rights going away, it was a foregone conclusion. In that state, Republicans did really, really well. In Virginia, another state where, you know, no gubernatorial race, uh, not a big, big abortion initiative on the ballot, Republicans did very well there, too. In states where it looked like one candidate or another could take away abortion rights, Republicans did worse. That's one of the the burgeoning theories as to what went on in this election. But I want to just rewind a little bit. I want to take you back to 624-22, I have the other mug up right now, but you can get that mug at studosmerch.com. 624-22. Dobbs comes out. Roe versus Wade is overturned. And we talked for that about that for, you know, I don't know, a week. And we talked about it constantly. And we went over all the details of the ruling. And we went through all the, all the information you needed to know. But one thing I kept coming back to was Republicans were out there talking about the pro-life cause and Democrats and the media said, well, you know what? This is going to cost them in the election because women's rights are super important and health care and all the things that they always say uh, that don't actually mean anything when it comes to abortion. They kept saying them and they said, this is going to cause problems for Republicans in the elections. And I was not particularly won over by that. But what I did say at the time is if if that winds up being true, I'd make that trade a hundred times over. I would trade the Roe versus Wade thing being overturned and the possibility of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of children who would otherwise not be born. If they could be born, 
I'd trade you a dozen midterm elections for it. In fact, the conservative movement has been doing everything it can for 50 years to try to get this overturned. And the fact that that might cause a, a problem in a couple of Senate races or a couple of House races means nothing to me. Nothing. 63 million people were aborted. They should be here. They should be living. They should be voting. They should be alive and living their life and doing things with their family. And they're not here. A good chunk of that reason is because of a terrible ruling that was finally overturned on 6-24-22. And if you're the type of person that's like, I can't believe they keep talking about abortion. Uh, what do you really think about abortion? Did you just think it was a good political tool? Did you just think it was, hey, this will help us get some votes? Because I don't think that's working for you. I don't think that was working for you before. If you think an issue like this is important, then this is the reason you try to win elections. You try to win elections so things like this can change. There were a bunch of ballot initiatives around the country, uh, I think five of them regarding abortion. All of them failed if you are a pro-life person. All of them failed. What do you do in that situation? Do you run away from the issue? Do you never talk about it again? Do you never try to make uh, abortion uh, restricted ever again? No. The next time you roll out another one, you roll out another initiative and you give people the chance to do the right thing. And you do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until it, until it works. And then you can keep working on it because what we're talking about here are the lives of children. I know your fancy elections are fun. I like talking about them. You like talking about them. Important issues are decided. But the bottom line is, it, we all on the pro-life movement would have taken the deal 100 times over to trade a, uh, a midterm election for Roe versus Wade being overturned and giving back to the states the right to make their own laws about this procedure. So keep that in perspective when Republicans are going to tell you we need to run away from the cause of life. That's not OK. And if they start doing that, they're going to put a massive, massive hole in the side of their movement. And water will start getting in very quickly when that occurs for you boatsmen out there. The ship usually sinks. Let me tell you about Tommy John. You know, there's some negative news out there today. But we talk about Tommy John and we give you good news. Fall can be a disaster. You're hot one minute, you're cold another minute. You don't know what's coming on. You need something that can handle both environments. You need Tommy John. Tommy John underwear, you're going to be so much more comfortable. You can do everything better. And you can name a problem with other underwear that you've uh, had maybe before. They're riding up. They're not comfortable. What's going on? They're weird material. Tommy John's has solved all of that. And they have incredible loungewear as well. Lounging around the house, you got to have the Tommy John. I will tell you, it will change your life. They have breathable, lightweight fabric, has four times the stretch of competing brands. They come with a no wedgie guarantee, thanks to a non-rolling waistband and legs that never ride up. Over 18 million pairs sold. People love Tommy John underwear. They don't have customers. They have fanatics. And I'm one of them. Uh, Everything is backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free. Guarantee. Go to TommyJohn.com slash stew right now. 20% off your first order. 20% off at TommyJohn.com slash stew. TommyJohn.com slash stew. See site for details. That site, of course, is TommyJohn.com slash stew. 
All right, I want to bring in John Gabriel back to the program. He's editor-in-chief of Ricochet and an opinion contributor to the Arizona Republic. John, welcome back. Great to be on. Yeah, we had you on radio today, a double dose of John Gabriel. It's a big day. Um, I will say, I'm, I'm scared, John. I'm scared of everything. I'm, I've been doing my prep for the show today. I'm terrified of everything. I feel like everything's going to go wrong. I'm being negative Nancy here. Help, give me some good news about Arizona. Well, it looks like, at least in most of the races, the good guys are going to win based on the votes that are still yet to be counted. Um, hopefully, they'll be done counting by Thanksgiving of next year. <laughs> we will see. Um, all the locals here are furious with them. Everybody out of the state is laughing at us. I've gotten messages as far uh, from far away as Brazil and Hungary asking why I live in a third world nation. <laughs> hey, we can count our votes in a couple hours. What's wrong with you guys? I recently wrote a piece about it. But the votes that are supposed to come in now are something like 600,000 of them. And most of those are early ballots which are, um, or I'm sorry, election day results, which tend to be far more Republican than um, Democrat. So I think Kerry Lake is looking good, um, our AG candidate looking good. Uh, the big question is Blake Masters, who whoever will win that race, it is going to be a squeaker. I definitely have my fingers crossed for Blake, but we just need to see more results come in. The next ones are scheduled for 6 p.m. local time, We'll see if they can hit that deadline, at least with a partial count. So they're giving they're, they're <laughs> this is unbelievable. So they're basically saying we're going to count the votes. We're not going to tell anybody. We're going to release them all at a, a specific time. But we're just going to very slowly release votes. Uh, and we ha really don't know when it's going to be over. Exactly. And their attitude is, how dare you question us? What are you, an election denier? That has been their uh, standard answer since 2000. And uh, I'm sorry, this is where just asking questions um, is important, as in, what is your job here? What do you think your role is when you decided that you were going to be in charge of counting votes? Did you realize it involved counting the votes? <laughs> so it is uh, very maddening. And once again, we were a joke in 2020. We're a joke again. And if we can just follow the path that Florida did in 2000, they were a national laughingstock. And what do you know, the next year they changed their voting procedures and now they are a model, they are a gold standard for the country. We knew uh, five minutes after the polls closed that uh, Ron DeSantis was reelected. Maybe 10 minutes after that, Marco Rubio was reelected. There is no reason why every state in the union can't provide the same kind of success. I actually saw something today. I was looking through the results of Arizona and I, I you know, this is one I've been really focused on. I wanna see what's gonna happen here. And as I'm looking at the results, there's a big disclaimer that says the uh, Maricopa County has warned it could take days and days for, to release the results because the ballot in Maricopa County was as was the longest in history, the longest ballot in history. And I like yeah. are they going through are, is one person going through each individual vote? And I, what is happening? Why is this taking so long? I think they've uh, hired it out to a contractor in Pennsylvania who goes by the name of Fetterman. Maybe he's <laughs> the one actually counting the votes. Um, yeah, it's just unconscionable. And one thing, I looked up the numbers earlier today. Miami-Dade County, basically every 2,500 residents has a polling place to go to. They're all over the place, over 1,000 polling places. Well, Maricopa County is close to twice the size. We have about 200-something, um, wow. and that's it. 
So it, it's just we need to have a lot more polling locations, a lot more qualified staff counting. And darn it, as soon as the votes come in, you guys stay up all night until every last vote is counted. The, this is what? Every two years you can pull an all-nighter. I used to do it, I think, every week in college. You guys can handle that. Mm, that really is fascinating. There is a big uh, house race there that's pretty close, too. Is it the second, Arizona's uh, second? Um, do we have any, any info on that? Do you think that's going to turn out the, the right way? I think it will turn out the right way. Is this the David Schweiker yeah. race, mm-hmm. I believe? Yeah, I think it will turn out the right way. Again, what we're waiting for is Election Day ballots. In the past few election cycles, it has been really strong Republican, like talking 70% Republican to 30% Democrat. So I think that will turn the right way as well. Um, what's frustrating, too, from a national perspective is we had all this negative thing. There wasn't a red wave. Well, if Nevada and Arizona go the way that they're supposed to, and it looks like they will now, they would have been big gets. They would have been banner headlines on CNN, how a bunch of Republicans got elected uh, to the Senate and to the governor's mansions in Nevada and Arizona. But, uh, yeah, I think Nevada might be worse than us right now, but it's not such a crucial state. Uh, state doesn't have quite the population we do. And uh, they haven't been grabbing headlines the entire cycle. So I think both Arizona and Nevada are looking very good. But like you, I want to see the numbers. Uh, Show me the money, basically, on these things, because we all want to uh, have a relaxing Thanksgiving and not be checking Twitter feeds for the latest counts. (laughs) Uh, How do you feel about Nevada? I know uh, it looks like the gubernatorial candidate is is, is a little bit better off, perhaps, than the Senate candidate. It's kind of the same situation that's going on in Arizona, but both of them are really, really close. Exactly. And voters in Nevada are the same way. Republicans tend to show up on Election Day itself. Um, so they don't get counted as much in the early votes. Laxalt has run a very good campaign. And I think people are just frustrated in Arizona and Nevada as well. And Laxalt, you have a big union presence there. Imagine that <laughs> in Las Vegas. But when union bosses are telling their blue collar workers to go out there and vote, those workers are not following. Oh, I better vote for Joe Biden. Uh, the recession has hurt uh, Las Vegas worse than anywhere in the country. Phoenix is a close second, I might add. And uh, people are sick of this. And I think they will both go uh, be painted red and go to the GOP. Team Donkey has not done enough for the Western states, that's for sure. I hope so. I mean, this has got to be one of the most friendly environments Republicans will ever run in. And the fact that it's this close is disappointing. Though I do think that there's a little bit of the way they're talking about, like, for example, the House, they're like, oh, well, usually you pick up 20 seats. Well, you're usually not only in the minority by four or five seats. Like, if they get control of the House, you know, control is control. It will be difficult, but they're not going to pass anything that's going to get through Biden anyway. So it's I mean, the bottom line is getting control here and having something to stop uh, the excesses of Biden. But I got to say, I, I was having a good day, John. I was I was in a good mood. And then I decided, you know, let me really look at the House and, and just see where we are. Everyone keeps saying Republicans are going to get it. It's going to be close. And I go through this and man, I, you know, I, I see 209. I see about six or seven more that I, I'm relatively confident in. And then I start running out. Then I start getting into races in California that have 40% of the vote counted and just hoping it turns out okay. Or I'm going into races where Democrats are leading and hoping the last minute vote puts the other side over the line. I mean, is, 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 are you confident that the House is a done deal? I'm not. Yeah, I, I never count my chickens before they hatch, but we should have the advantage there. And I think we'll take the Senate as well. Both are 
closer than we wanted them to be. But as you say, um, if you have one person more than the Democrats do, you're good to go. You get to chair the committees. You're the ones who get to shut down the silly stunts like the January 6 hearings, which were you know designed by a TV producer and flopped big in the ratings. <laughs> um, and then you can start doing things like Senator Paul investigating Fauci and uh, at least hold the White House's feet to the fire and be prepared to uh, really get going. Uh, by getting a GOP um, resident in the White House. What do you think about the what? national uh, narrative, John? Do you, you know, I, I've been hearing, it's interesting how this develops. I feel like you, you run a campaign and then there's election results and then another campaign begins. And the campaign to just kind of control this narrative, what's the message going to be for the future party? We, talk, we heard a lot about the DeSantis win there when you're talking about the Republican side. And then you see this, this idea, you know, a lot of people in the mainstream media are trying to, to, to tell the story that, the abortion thing, the January 6th thing, it worked in a lot of these states. If there was these election deniers and people who were hard on abortion rights in places like Pennsylvania, where they had absolutely no real path to win, the Democrats somehow won. Do you buy any of this? Uh, one thing I don't believe in is this kind of single cause blame game. It's all because of one issue, abortion. It's all because of Donald Trump. Every state is different. All politics is local. And there's different constituencies going on in different states. They have different political cultures. They have different, uh, some have very strong parties, some have very weak parties. So every state is its own story. And we got to dig down into that rather than blaming everything, hanging everything on one issue. I can understand that abortion would be a big deal in, say, Washington state. It's not going to be in the Sun Belt where we have such huge numbers of Hispanic residents and all the advertising I've seen, I, for some reason, I keep getting Spanish language ads targeted at me and they're all promoting abortion. I do not see that motivating recent immigrants who are still speaking Spanish. Um, I don't see that. They're like, no, I actually like babies. I know that's a crazy position to have in the modern Democratic Party. So it really depends on the region, the county, the state. And there isn't uh, one reason that everything is a uh, going well or going wrong for Republicans. Oh, well, John, I think you're uh, seen as a, a world traveler with fine cultural tastes. So they're just... Uh, indeed. indeed. <laughs> uh, what did you think about it? Because there was a big, um, a, a, a big conversation before the election that Hispanic voters will be coming to the right. You look at the exit polls and you can see evidence of it. You certainly see a lot of evidence of it in Florida. The Texas story from 2020 didn't pan out quite as well as people were thinking. What happened in Arizona on that front? And what do you do you think that's real or is that was that just a bunch of narrative? Oh, I think it's definitely real. And what you're seeing is working people are getting the shaft from the Democratic Party. The Democrats are appealing to the very downtrodden who can get government money or the very woke and wealthy. And all of us working folks, and it doesn't matter what color you are, what religion, if you have one, we're all getting the shaft by our government. And I think year by year, that's going to keep trending that way because gosh, yeah, whether you're in Texas, Florida, Arizona, we all have Hispanic neighbors, and um, I feel a little shame because they're working harder than I am. They're all citizens. They adore America. They think it's the great, and they're showing up to church on Sundays. They're raising larger families, and um, there's just not a place for them in the modern Democratic Party. So I think every couple of years when we have an election, they're just going to shift more and more GOP. Mm, it's going to be fascinating to watch. John Gabriel, editor-in-chief of Ricochet and opinion contributor for the Arizona Republic. John, thanks so much for coming back on the program, man. I appreciate it. Great to be on. Thanks for having me.
Message for Joe Biden. Don't run, Joe. That's not me saying that. That's actually a group in New Hampshire who's saying, please, please, good God, don't run. A progressive group, by the way. Now, they're linked to Bernie Sanders, who I just have to assume is going to run in 2024, mainly because I can't picture a presidential election without him. I think he's been running since 1844. So uh, there you go. Uh, You know, is this going to have an effect? I think what would have had an effect about Joe Biden not running for president was a red wave, a red tsunami, some big movement where, you know, Republicans got to 54, 55 seats. Uh, where there's 250 seats in the in the House or 240 seats in the House. That didn't happen. And because it didn't happen, Joe Biden was strengthened to be the next nominee for his party. He wants the job. Uh, so we'll see. So what's he going to do if people don't want him to run? He's got to give it a, 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 a bright, optimistic vision for change. Here's what he's going to bring to the table. What in the next two years do you intend to do differently uh, to change people's uh, opinion of the direction of the country, particularly as you contemplate a run for president in 2024? Nothing, because they're just finding out what we're doing. The more they know about what we're doing, the more support there is. Do you know anybody who wants us to get rid of the change we made on prescription drug prices and raise prices again? Yes. Do you know anybody who wants us to walk away from building those roads and bridges and, yes. and the Internet and so on? Walk away from the Internet. I don't, yes. I, I don't know. I think that the problem is. What's the problem? The major piece of legislation we passed, mm-hmm. some of it bipartisan. Yep takes time to be recognized. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe we'll find out uh, what's in it after they pass it. Uh, also, he, uh, he does want to be a guy who works across the aisle with a, with a couple of minor exceptions. I'm prepared to work with my Republican colleagues. The American people have made clear, I think, that they expect Republicans to be prepared to work with me as well. And I'm open to any good ideas. I want to be very clear. I'm not going to support any Republican proposal that's going to make inflation worse. For example, the voters don't want to pay higher prescription costs for drugs. We've cut that now. We're going to kick into gear next year, next calendar year. And I'm not going to walk away from the historic commitments we just made to take on the climate crisis. They're not compromisable issues to me. And I won't let it happen. The voters don't want more taxes for the super uh, tax cuts for the super wealthy and biggest corporations. And I'm going to continue to focus on cost cutting for working and middle class families and building an economy from the bottom up and the middle out. I know you're tired of hearing me say that. I'm tired of hearing you say everything, honestly. But you'll, you'll work with Republicans, except you just need them to support all the Democratic positions on major issues. If they will do that, you will work with them. You will accept the votes of Republicans who vote for Democratic things. You won't do anything as far as compromising with them and giving them a win and giving you a win. None of that actually happens. Instead, you're just going to say you want bipartisanship and then say that all they have to do to get bipartisanship is to agree with you on every single position on every major issue. Sounds perfect. Let me tell you about Grip6 and their fashionable and customizable belts. They're a small company in Utah that sells in the United States, but all over the world. And they source almost everything they use to make its products in America. And it's not just belts, it's socks, it's wallets. The socks, they use American wool, 100% American wool on their socks. And it's like 
Nobody does that anymore. That's not a thing that, ha- that occurs. Grip6.com slash stew is the place to go. You can check out all their stuff. It's really good. You'll really like it. And this is a company who not only sources their stuff in America, but actually loves the country, too, like you. Grip6.com slash stew. Use the code stew. Get 15% off right now. Grip, the number six, dot com slash stew. Get 15% off today at Grip6.com slash stew. Get 15% off with the code stew. Stacey Abrams, after her election loss, vows, I won't stop running for a better Georgia. Wow, that's wonderful. Obviously, we're not talking about physical running. I mean, you know, she's pushing three bills. So, I mean, she's not doing a lot of running. Uh, But uh, congratulations to Stacey Abrams, who's really failed her way into our hearts. Just a quick suggestion, and any network can take this idea. Okay? Reality show, travel show. Kind of buddies in a car going across America. Okay, picture it. Stacey Abrams, Beto O'Rourke, Charlie Crist. They get into a car. They drive around from city to city and go to the most incredible, amazing contests in each city and continually all lose at them over and over and over again. They just go to they go to a, a, a state fair and they go up to the most famous attraction at the state fair and they lose. They all lose. And then someone... Someone watches them lose. We all get to watch them on camera losing over and over and over and over again as they've mastered this process. And then they go to a new city and lose over and over again. What if we just keep importing them into elections in different states, different races? And then we can just all watch them lose by 50, 60, 70, 80 points. I think that the three of them together would be incredible. We're talking about a, a show that would show that would just be on display the most talented losers we've ever seen in election history. I'd watch it. Would you? Okay. So here's what happened. The drag queen thing. I, uh, what is it? I don't understand it. I don't get it at all. Like what, what is, is this actually popular? Do people care about it? How does the drag race thing, the the RuPaul thing, how is that on television? Why would anyone watch it? What's the skill being presented? Like, I don't understand any of this. I will be perfectly clear. But what I do understand is Canada. And Canada is going to bring apparently RuPaul's ridiculous show across the border and you'll never guess who the big guest star is. The time has come world meet your next host nation bonjour and welcome to canada we're looking for the next global drag superstar every time you come out on that runway it is just electric it was elegance it was grace it was confidence this look is everything Ready for world domination. Please help me welcome the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. (laughs) This one is about to go down in history. See, instead of history, it's herstory. Justin Trudeau going to be on uh, the drag race thing. And um, I mean, it's better than him as he usually dresses up in blackface. So I think he's going in the right direction, which is the first time I've ever said that about Justin Trudeau. You can still get 30 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. BlazeTV.com slash midterms. BlazeTV.com slash midterms. The promo code is midterms. Save your money. You're going to need it with Joe Biden and maybe a Democratic Senate, maybe a Democratic House. 
It's not Halloween, but yes, I'm trying to scare you.